Chapter Four, Part Three of Apologia Pro Vita Sua by John Henry Cardinal Newman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bill McGillivray. One calumny there was which the bishops did not believe, and of which, of course, he had no idea of speaking. It was that I was actually in the service of the enemy. I had forsooth been already received into the Catholic Church and was rearing at Littlemore a nest of papists, who, like me, were to take the Anglican oath which they disbelieved, by virtue of a dispensation from Rome, and thus in due time were to bring over to that unprincipled church great numbers of the Anglican clergy and laity. Bishops gave their countenance to this imputation against me. The case was simply this. As I made Littlemore a place of retirement for myself, so did I offer it to others. There were young men in Oxford whose testimonials for orders had been refused by their colleges. There were young clergymen who had found themselves unable from conscience to go on with their duties and had thrown up their parochial engagements. Such men were already going straight to Rome, and I interposed. I interposed for the reasons I have given in the beginning of this portion of my narrative. I interposed from fidelity to my clerical engagements, and from duty to my bishop, and from the interest which I was bound to take in them, and from belief that they were premature or excited. Their friends besought me to quiet them, if I could. Some of them came to live with me at Littlemore. They were laymen, or in the place of laymen. I kept some of them back for several years from being received into the Catholic Church. Even when I had given up my living, I was still bound by my duty to their parents or friends, and I did not forget still to do what I could for them. The immediate occasion of my resigning St. Mary's was the unexpected conversion of one of them. After that, I felt it was impossible to keep my post there, for I had been unable to keep my word with my bishop. The following letters refer more or less to these men, whether they were actually with me at Littlemore or not. 1. March 6, 1842. Church doctrines are a powerful weapon. They were not sent into the world for nothing. God's word does not return unto him void. If I have said, as I have, that the doctrines of the tracts for the times would build up our church and destroy parties, I meant, if they were used, not if they were denounced else they will be as powerful against us as they might be powerful for us. If people who have a liking for another hear him called a Roman Catholic, they will say, then after all Romanism is no such bad thing. All these persons who are making the cry are fulfilling their own prophecy. If all the world agrees in telling a man he has no business in our church, he will at length begin to think he has none. How easy is it to persuade a man of anything when numbers affirm it? So great is the force of imagination. Did everyone who met you in the streets look hard at you? You would think you were somehow in fault. I do not know anything so irritating, so unsettling, especially in the case of young persons, as when they are going on calmly and unconsciously, obeying their church and following its divines. I am speaking from facts as suddenly to their surprise to be conjured not to make a leap, of which they have not a dream, and from which they are far removed. 2. 1843 or 1844. 
I did not explain to you sufficiently the state of mind of those who were in danger. I only spoke of those who were convinced that our church was external to the church Catholic, though they felt it unsafe to trust their own private convictions. But there are two other states of mind. One, that of those who are unconsciously near Rome, and whose despair about our church would at once develop into a state of conscious approximation, or a quasi-resolution to go over. Two, those who feel they can with a safe conscience remain with us while they are allowed to testify in behalf of Catholicism. That is, as if by such acts they were putting our church, or at least that portion of it in which they were included, in the position of catechumens. 3. June twentieth, 1843. I return the very pleasing letter you have permitted me to read. What a sad thing it is that it should be a plain duty to restrain one's sympathies and to keep them from boiling over, but I suppose it is a matter of common prudence. Things are very serious here, but I should not like you to say so, as it might do no good. The authorities find that by the statutes they have more than military power, and the general impression seems to be that they intend to exert it and put down Catholicism at any risk. I believe that by the statutes they can pretty nearly suspend a preacher as seditious or causing dissension without assigning their grounds in the particular case, nay, banishing him or imprison him. If so, all holders of preferment in the university should make as quiet an exit as they can. There is more exasperation on both sides at this moment, as I am told, than ever there was. 4. July 16th, 1843 I assure you that I feel with only too much sympathy what you say. You need not be told that the whole subject of our position is a subject of anxiety to others besides yourself. It is no good attempting to offer advice when perhaps I might raise difficulties instead of removing them. It seems to me quite a case in which you should, as far as may be, make up your mind for yourself. Come to little more by all means. We shall all rejoice in your company, and, if quiet and retirement are able, as they very likely will be, to reconcile you to things as they are, you shall have your fill of them. How distressed poor Henry Wilberforce must be! Knowing how he values you, I feel for him, but alas, he has his own position, and everyone else has his own, and the misery is that no two of us have exactly the same. It is very kind of you to be so frank and open with me, as you are, but this is a time which throws together persons who feel alike. May I, without taking a liberty, sign myself, yours affectionately, etc. 5. August 30th, 1843. A.B. has suddenly conformed to the Church of Rome. He was away for three weeks, I suppose I must say, in my defense, that he promised me distinctly to remain in our church three years, before I received him here. 6. June seventeenth, 1845. I am concerned to find you speak of me in a tone of distrust. If you knew me ever so little, instead of hearing of me from persons who do not know me at all, you would think differently of me, whatever you thought of my opinions. Two years since, I got your son to tell you my intention of resigning St. Mary's before I made it public, thinking you ought to know it. 
when you expressed some painful feelings upon it, I told him I could not consent to his remaining here, painful as it would be to me to part with him without your written sanction, and this you did me the favor to give. I believe you will find that it has been merely a delicacy on your son's part which has delayed his speaking to you about me for two months past, a delicacy lest he should say either too much or too little about me. I have urged him several times to speak to you. Nothing can be done after your letter but to recommend him to go to A.B., his home, at once. I am very sorry to part with him. 7. The following letter is addressed to Cardinal Wiseman, then Vicar Apostolic, who accused me of coolness in my conduct towards him. April 16, 1845. I was at that time in charge of a ministerial office in the English church with persons entrusted to me and a bishop to obey. How could I possibly write otherwise than I did without violating sacred obligations and betraying momentous interests which were upon me? I felt that my immediate, undeniable duty, clear if any was clear, was to fulfill that trust. It might be right indeed to give it up, that was another thing, but it never could be right to hold it and to act as if I did not hold it. If you knew me, you would acquit me, I think, of having ever felt towards your lordship in an unfriendly spirit, or ever having had a shadow on my mind, as far as I dare witness about myself, of what might be called controversial rivalry, or desire of getting the better, or fear least the world should think I had got the worst, or irritation of any kind. You are too kind indeed to imply this, and yet your words lead me to say it. And now in like manner, pray believe, though I cannot explain it to you, that I am encompassed with responsibilities so great and so various as utterly to overcome me, unless I have mercy from him who all through my life has sustained and guided me, and to whom I can now submit myself, though men of all parties are thinking evil of me. Such fidelity, however, was taken in malum partem by the high Anglican authorities. They thought it insidious, I happened still to have a correspondence which took place in 1843, in which the chief place is filled by one of the most eminent bishops of the day, a theologian and reader of the fathers, a moderate man, who at one time was talked of as likely on a vacancy to succeed to the primacy. A young clergyman in his diocese became a Catholic. The papers at once reported on authority from a very high quarter, that after his reception, the Oxford men had been recommending him to retain his living. I had reasons for thinking that the allusion was made to me, and I authorized the editor of a paper who had inquired of me on the point to give it, as far as I was concerned, an unqualified contradiction. When from a motive of delicacy he hesitated, I added, my direct and indignant contradiction. Whoever is the author of it, I continued to the editor, no correspondence or intercourse of any kind, direct or indirect, has passed between Mr. S. and myself since his conforming to the Church of Rome, except by formally and merely acknowledging the receipt of his letter, in which he informed me of the fact, without, as far as I recollect, my expressing any opinion upon it. You may state this as broadly as I have set it down. My denial was told to the bishop, 
what took place upon it is given in a letter from which i copy my father showed the letter to the bishop who as he laid it down said ah those oxford men are not ingenuous how do you mean asked my father why said the bishop they advised mr b s to retain his living after he turned catholic i know that to be a fact because a b told me so the bishop continues the letter who is perhaps the most influential man in reality on the bench evidently believes it to be the truth upon this dr pusey wrote in my behalf to the bishop and the bishop instantly beat a retreat i have the honour he said in the autograph which i transcribe to acknowledge the receipt of your note and to say in reply that it has not been stated by me though such a statement has i believe appeared in some of the public prints that mr newman had advised mr b s to retain his living after he had forsaken our church but it has been stated to me that mr newman was in close correspondence with mr b s and being fully aware of his state of opinions and feelings yet advised him to continue in our communion allow me to add he says to dr pusey that neither your name nor that of mr keebley was mentioned to me in connection with that of mr b s i was not going to let the bishop off on this evasion so i wrote to him myself after quoting his letter to dr pusey i continued i beg to trouble your lordship with my own account of the two allegations close correspondence and fully aware etc which are contained in your statement and which have led to your speaking to me in terms which i hope never to deserve one since mr b s has been in your lordship's diocese i have seen him in common rooms or private parties in oxford two or three times when i never as far as i can recollect had any conversation with him during the same time i have to the best of my memory written to him three letters one was lately in acknowledgment of his informing me of his change of religion another was last summer when i asked him to no purpose to come and stay with me in this place the earliest of the three letters was written just a year since as far as i can recollect and it certainly was on the subject of his joining the church of rome i wrote this letter at the earnest wish of a friend of his i cannot be sure that on his replying i did not send him a brief note in explanation of points in my letter which he had misapprehended i cannot recollect any other correspondence between us two as to my knowledge of his opinions and feelings as far as i remember the only point of perplexity which i knew the only point which to this hour i know as pressing upon him was that of the pope's supremacy he professed to be searching antiquity whether the see of rome had formerly that relation to the whole church which roman catholics now assign to it my letter was directed to the point that it was his duty not to perplex himself with arguments on such a question and to put it altogether aside it is hard that i am put upon my memory without knowing the details of the statement made against me considering the various correspondence in which i am from time to time unavoidably engaged be assured my lord that there are very definite limits beyond which persons like me would never urge another to retain preferment in the english church nor would retain it themselves and that the censure which has been directed against them by so many of its rulers has a very grave bearing upon those limits 
The bishop replied in a civil letter, and sent my own letter to his original informant, who wrote to me the letter of a gentleman. It seems that an anxious lady had said something or other which had been misinterpreted, against her real meaning, into the calumny which was circulated, and so the report vanished into thin air. I closed the correspondence with the following letter to the bishop. I hope your lordship will believe me when I say that statements about me equally incorrect with that which has come to your lordship's ears are from time to time reported to me as credited and repeated by the highest authorities in our church, though it is very seldom that I have the opportunity of denying them. I am obliged by your lordship's letter to Dr. Pusey as giving me such an opportunity. Then I added, with a purpose, your lordship will observe that in my letter I had no occasion to proceed to the question whether a person holding Roman Catholic opinions can in honesty remain in our church. Least then any misconception should arise from my silence, I here take the liberty of adding that I see nothing wrong in such persons continuing in communion with us, provided he holds no preferment or office, abstains from the management of ecclesiastical matters, and is bound by no subscription or oath to our doctrines. This was written on March 8, 1843, and was in anticipation of my own retirement into lay communion. This again leads me to a remark. For two years I was in lay communion, not indeed being a Catholic in my convictions, but in a state of serious doubt, and with the probable prospect of becoming some day what as yet I was not. Under these circumstances I thought the best thing I could do was to give up duty and to throw myself into lay communion remaining in Anglican. I could not go to Rome while I thought what I did of the devotion she sanctioned to the Blessed Virgin and the Saints. I did not give up my fellowship, for I could not be sure that my doubts would not be reduced or overcome, however unlikely I might consider such an event. But I gave up my living, and, for two years before my conversion, I took no clerical duty. My last sermon was in September 1843. Then I remained at Littlemore in quiet for two years but it was made a subject of reproach to me at the time, and is at this day, that I did not leave the Anglican Church sooner. To me this seems a wonderful charge. Why, even had I been quite sure that Rome was the true Church, the Anglican bishops would have had no just subject of complaint against me, provided I took no Anglican oath, no clerical duty, no ecclesiastical administration." Do they force all men who go to their churches to believe in the 39 Articles or to join in the Athanasian Creed? However, I was to have other measures dealt to me. Great authorities ruled it so, and a great controversialist, Mr. Stanley Faber, thought it a shame that I did not leave the Church of England as much as ten years sooner than I did. He said this in print between the years 1847 and 1849. His nephew, an Anglican clergyman, kindly wished to undeceive him on this point. So in the later years, after some correspondence, I wrote the following letter, which will be of service to this narrative, from its chronological notes. December 6, 1849. Your uncle says, if he, Mr. N., will declare sans phrase, as the French say, that I have labored under an entire mistake 
and that he was not a concealed Romanist during the ten years in question, I suppose the last ten years of my membership with the Anglican Church, or during any part of the time my controversial antipathy will be at an end, and I will readily express to him that I am truly sorry that I have made such a mistake. So candid an avowal is what I should have expected from a mind like your uncle's. I am extremely glad he has brought it to this issue. By a concealed Romanist, I understand him to mean one who, professing to belong to the Church of England, in his heart and will intends to benefit the Church of Rome, at the expense of the Church of England. He cannot mean by the expression merely a person who in fact is benefiting the Church of Rome, while he is intending to benefit the Church of England, for that is no discredit to him morally, and he, your uncle, evidently means to impute blame. In the sense in which I have explained the words, I can simply and honestly say that I was not a concealed Romanist during the whole or any part of the years in question. For the first four years of the ten, up to Michaelmas, 1839, I honestly wished to benefit the Church of England at the expense of the Church of Rome. For the second four years, I wished to benefit the Church of England without prejudice to the Church of Rome. At the beginning of the ninth year, Michaelmas, 1843, I began to despair of the Church of England and gave up all clerical duty, and then what I wrote and did was influenced by a mere wish not to injure it and not by the wish to benefit it. After the beginning of the tenth year, I distinctly contemplated leaving it, but I also distinctly told my friends that it was in my contemplation. Lastly, during the last half of the tenth year, I was engaged in writing a book, Essay on Development, in favor of the Roman Church, and indirectly against the English. But even then, till it was finished, I had not absolutely intended to publish it, wishing to reserve to myself the chance of changing my mind when the argumentative views which were actuating me had been distinctly brought out before me in writing. I wish this statement, which I make from memory, and without consulting any documents, severely tested by my writing and doings, as I am confident it will, on the whole, be borne out, whatever real or apparent exceptions, I suspect none, have to be allowed by me in detail. Your uncle is at liberty to make what use he pleases of this explanation. I have now reached an important date in my narrative, the year 1843, but before proceeding to the matters which it contains, I will insert portions of my letters from 1841 to 1843 addressed to Catholic acquaintances. 1. April 8, 1841. The unity of the Church Catholic is very near my heart only I do not see any prospect of it in our time, and I despair of its being effected without great sacrifice on all hands. As to resisting the bishop's will, I observe that no point of doctrine or principle was in dispute, but a course of action, the publication of certain works. I do not think you sufficiently understood our position. I suppose you would obey the Holy See in such a case, now, when we are separated from the Pope, his authority reverted to our diocesans. Our bishop is our Pope. It is our theory that each diocese is an integral church, intercommunion being a duty, and the breach of it a sin, but not essential to Catholicity. To have resisted my bishop 
would have been to place myself in an utterly false position, which I never could have recovered. Depend on it, the strength of any party lies in its being true to its theory. Consistency is the life of a movement. I have no misgivings whatever that the line I have taken can be other than a prosperous one, that is, in itself, for of course providence may refuse to us its legitimate issue for our sins. I am afraid that in one respect you may be disappointed. It is my trust, though I must not be too sanguine, that we shall not have individual members of our communion going over to yours. What one's duty would be under other circumstances, what our duty would have been ten or twenty years ago, I cannot say, but I do think that there is less of a private judgment in going with one's church than in leaving it. I can earnestly desire a union between my church and yours. I cannot listen to the thought of your being joined by individuals among us. 2. April 26, 1841. My only anxiety is, lest your branch of the church should not meet us by those reforms which surely are necessary. It never could be that so large a portion of Christendom should have split off from the communion of Rome and kept up a protest for three hundred years for nothing. I think I never shall believe that so much piety and earnestness would be found among Protestants if there were not some very grave errors on the side of Rome. To suppose the contrary is most unreal, and violates all one's notion of moral probabilities. All aberrations are founded on and have their life in some truth or other, and Protestantism, so widely spread and so long enduring, must have in it, and must be witnessed for, a great truth or much truth. That I am an advocate for Protestantism you cannot suppose, but I am forced into the via media, short of Rome, as it is at present. 3. May 5, 1841 while I most sincerely hold that there is in Roman Church a traditionary system which is not necessarily connected with her essential formularies, yet were I ever so much to change my mind on this point, this would not tend to bring me from my present position, providentially appointed in the English Church. That your communion was unassailable would not prove that mine was indefensible, nor would it at all affect the sense in which I received our articles, they would still speak against certain definite errors, though you had reformed them. I say this, lest any lurking suspicion should be left in the mind of your friends that persons who think with me are likely, by the growth of their present views, to find it imperative on them to pass over to your communion. Allow me to state strongly that if you have any such thoughts and proceed to act upon them, your friends will be committing a fatal mistake." We have, I trust, the principle and temperance of obedience too, intimately wrought into us to allow of our separating ourselves from our ecclesiastical superiors, because in many points we have sympathized with others. We have too great a horror of the principle of private judgment to trust it in so immense a matter as that of changing from one communion to another. We may be cast out of our communion, or it may decree heresy to be truth. You shall say whether such contingencies are likely, but I do not see other conceivable causes of our leaving the church in which we were baptized. For myself, persons must be well acquainted with what I have written, 
before they venture to say whether i have much changed my main opinions and cardinal views in the course of the last eight years that my sympathies have grown towards the religion of rome i do not deny that my reasons for shunning her communion have lessened or altered it would be difficult perhaps to prove and i wish to go by reason not by feeling for june eighteenth eighteen forty one you urge persons whose views agree with mine to commence a movement in behalf of a union between the churches now in the letters i have written i have uniformly said i do not expect that union in our time and have discouraged the notion of all sudden proceedings with a view to it i must ask your leave to repeat on this occasion most distinctly that i cannot be party to any agitation but mean to remain quiet in my own place and to do all i can to make others take the same course this i conceive to be my simple duty but over and above this i will not set my teeth on edge with sour grapes i know it is quite within the range of possibilities that one or another of our people should go over to your communion however it would be a greater misfortune to you than grief to us if your friends wish to put a gulf between themselves and us let them make converts but not else some months ago i ventured to say that i felt it a painful duty to keep aloof from all roman catholics who came with the intention of opening negotiations for the union of the churches when you now urge us to petition our bishops for a union this i conceive is very like an act of negotiation five i have the first sketch or draft of a letter which i wrote to a zealous catholic layman it runs as follows as far as i have preserved it but i think there were various changes and additions september twelfth eighteen forty one it would rejoice all catholic minds among us more than words can say if you could persuade members of the church of rome to take the line in politics which you so earnestly advocate suspicion and distrust are the main causes at present of the separation between us and the nearest approaches in doctrine will but increase the hostility which alas our people feel towards yours while these causes continue depend on it you must not rely upon our catholic tendencies till they are removed i am not speaking of myself or of any friends of mine but of our church generally whatever our personal feelings may be we shall but tend to raise and spread a rival church to yours in the four quarters of the world unless you do what none but you can do sympathies which would flow over the church of rome as a matter of course did she admit them will but be developed in the consolidation of our own system if she continues to be the object of our suspicions and fears i wish of course i do that our own church may be built up and extended but still not to the cost of the church of rome not in opposition to it i am sure that while you suffer we suffer too from the separation but we cannot remove the obstacles it is with you to do so you do not fear us we fear you till we cease to fear you we cannot love you while you are in the present position the friends of catholic unity in our church are but fulfilling the prediction of those of your body who are adverse to them namely that they will be merely strengthening a rival communion to yours many of you say that we are your greatest enemies we have said so ourselves so we are so we shall be as things stand at present 
we are keeping people from you by supplying their wants in our own church we are keeping persons from you do you wish to keep them from you for a time or forever it rests with you to determine i do not fear that you will succeed among us you will not supplant our church in the affections of the english nation only through the english church can you act upon the english nation i wish of course our church should be consolidated with and through and in your communion for its sake in your sake and for the sake of unity are you aware that the more serious thinkers among us are used as far as they dare form an opinion to regard the spirit of liberalism as the characteristic of the destined antichrist in vain does any one clear the church of rome from the badges of antichrist in which protestants would invest her if she deliberately takes up her position in the very quarter whither we have cast them when we took them off from her antichrist is described as the anamogster as exalting himself above the yoke of religion and law the spirit of lawlessness came in with the reformation and liberalism is its offspring and now i fear i am going to pain you by telling you that you consider the approaches in doctrine on our part towards you closer than they really are i cannot help repeating what i have many times said in print that your services and devotion to st mary in matter of fact do most deeply pain me i am only stating it as a fact again i have nowhere said that i can accept the decree of trent throughout nor implied it the doctrine of transubstantiation is a great difficulty with me as being as i think not primitive nor have i said that our articles in all respect admit to a roman interpretation the very word transubstantiation is disowned in them thus you see it is not merely on grounds of expedience that we do not join you there are positive difficulties in the way of it and even if there were not we shall have no divine warrant for doing so while we think that the church of england is a branch of the true church and that intercommunion with the rest of christendom is necessary not for the life of a particular church but for its health only i have never disguised that there are actual circumstances in the church of rome which pain me much of the removal of these i see no chance while we join you one by one but if our church were prepared for a union she might make her terms she might gain the cup she might protest against the extreme honours paid to st mary she might make some explanation of the doctrine of transubstantiation i am not prepared to say that a reform in other branches of the roman church would be necessary for our uniting with them however desirable in itself so that we were allowed to make a reform in our own country we do not look towards rome as believing that its communion is infallible but that union is a duty six the following letter was occasioned by the present made to me of a book by the friend to whom it is written more will be said on the subject of it presently november twenty second eighteen forty two i only wish that your church were more known among us by such writings you will not interest us in her till we see her not in politics but in her true functions of exhorting teaching and guiding i wish there were a chance of making the leading men among you understand what i believe is no novel thought to yourself it is not by learned discussions or acute arguments or reports of miracles that the heart of england can be gained 
it is by men approving themselves like the apostle ministers of christ as to your question whether the volume you have sent is not calculated to remove my apprehensions that another gospel is substituted for the true one in your practical instructions before i can answer it in any way i ought to know how far the sermons which it comprises are selected from a number or whether they are the whole or such as the whole which have been published of the authors i assure you or at least i trust that if it ever clearly brought home to me that i have been wrong in what i have said on this subject my public avowal of that conviction will only be a question of time with me if however you saw our church as we see it you would easily understand that such a change of feeling did it take place would have no necessary tendency which you seem to expect to draw a person from the church of england to that of rome there is a divine life among us clearly manifested in spite of all our disorders which is the great note of the church as any can be why should we seek our lord's presence elsewhere when he vouchsafes it to us where we are what call have we to change our communion roman catholics will find this to be the state of things in time to come whatever promises they may fancy there is of a large secession to their church this man or that may leave us but there will be no general movement there is indeed an incipient movement of our church towards yours and this your leading men are doing all they can to frustrate by their unwearied efforts at all risk to carry off individuals when will they know their position and embrace a larger and wiser policy end of chapter four part three